Good morning. So earlier this week, Derek posted on the gram, the Instagram, the stories, a question about what your favorite Sunday school song is. I want to thank y'all for your response. He kept our algorithm healthy. We got a lot of responses. We're going to listen to some of your answers, okay? Here are five of your responses. Number one, Sarah, play it. Sing along if you want. One of the most popular mentioned, Father Abraham. We know it's coming up here in a second, right? Right arm. Okay, right. And we'll stop it there because we go through like, you know, all the arms and legs, the head turning around until everyone falls down. And yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. Okay, number two, Sarah. Many of us learned how to spell the Bible, B-I-B-L-E. My son's 13. I think that is still saying, he's saying that when he was a kid. The B-I-B-L-E. Now, apparently, we learn, we like to, or we like to learn how to spell church words in Sunday school. Because another spelling church word was frequently mentioned. Here we go. Remember? It's fast. I don't remember it being that fast. Some remember, some don't. Okay, that, 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 that's, it was mentioned. I was actually surprised how many times this one was mentioned. Okay, uh, the next one is for the millennials and Zers. I didn't think of this as a Sunday school one. And then Derek's like, that's because we're older. And you have to, like, if you don't really, a little audio adrenaline. Some of you are like, yes, this is a Sunday school song. It's a little wind up. Yeah, I can tell by some faces, yes, we know. Kate's doing the actions, yes. And they sing this downstairs now. Audio Adrenaline is a Sunday song. Big house. Big, big house. Um, Fun fact, Derek, you went to college with the drummer of Audio Adrenaline, right? And I played this song on my college radio station, which does show that we are older than a lot of you. We are not the millennials, years, we are the exes. Okay, our final one. Final, final one. So I had all the actions. Okay, so um, even if no one else answered this one, it was going to make the list because that was the whole purpose of this. Um, <laughs> luckily, some did. Not as many as I expected, but my small group folks who are sitting over there will say that I did kind of push some of them to go on and vote for it. Thank you, Kendra. Um, because I needed it to, to fill this out. So when Derek first told me <laughs> this was the week I'd be preaching again, of course, as someone raised in the church as a PK, preacher's kid, this song entered my head. 
uh, and, and I really haven't gotten it out since. It may be in your head now, or maybe one of those others that we played, and you can just let me know midweek if it's still annoying you. Uh, you're welcome. It's catchy. It's loaded with a lot of potential debate that we will not get into that debate about that song today. Uh, we can do that another time over coffee. But um, we are going to talk about what making you fishers of men or fishers of people means. So I'm going to be honest with you. Our topic today is one of my favorites. So we're just going to dive right into it, okay? Ready to go? So let's go. So the last time I was speaking to you was at the beginning of Advent, and we were in Mark that time as well. And that was when John the baptizer was preparing the way for Jesus. We were talking about waiting for Jesus, the anticipation. John the baptizer told his disciples in Mark 1, chapter 7, it reads, After me will come one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. John then baptized Jesus is the next thing that happened in the, in the Bible here. And then Jesus went into the desert to be tempted 40 days and 40 nights. So that's what's unfolded since, since we talked there. So today we're picking up where John is no longer in the picture. John the baptizer is now in prison. And you may remember we talked about how Mark writes very concisely. They call it the fast-paced gospel. And he kind of put it concisely. He just said, after John was put in prison. But other gospels and historical writings give us a little more explanation into what happened. John was executed. He was handed over to be arrested. Why? Because he spoke out about the wrongdoings of political leaders. It was actually kind of like a soap opera story that involved a sex scandal with a political leader, and he started speaking out about it, and they turned him over, and he was executed, and there was kind of some drama around it. But it also kind of foreshadowed Jesus' execution as well. So that's a lot of setup. And the setup is important because it's transition. This was a time of transition. And we're seeing that in unfold. And that sets the stage for the next scene. So we talked about the action-packedness of Mark. So it's like a movie. The camera, it was focused on John. Now we're transitioning. It's on Jesus. And in verse 15, we read the first words, now that it's zoomed in on Jesus, that Jesus is directly quoted in this gospel. It says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So much to unpack right there alone. So we're going to talk about that a bit. Because some of the first words Jesus speaks in his ministry, I think those are pretty weighty words. Like he chose those, those are the first words that Mark decided to quote in there. They set the tone for the rest of the gospel. So we're going to start with the time has come. And we spoke a little bit about this already, but up until this point, we were waiting. John the baptizer took us right here, took us up to a point. And now the time is now. And you may want to just move on from that statement, but let's be real. Sometimes when you've been waiting for something, I mean, a really long time, when something's finally here, you may not recognize it. You may not see it, even though you've been waiting for it a long time. You may have gotten comfortable 
and that space of waiting. And actually, with the thing there may be a bit uncomfortable. Change and transition can be nerve-wracking for some people. It can be hard to recognize unless it's boldly right in your face. And that may be why Jesus was speaking in very clear language. Simply, the time has come. It's now. What we've been talking about, everyone, it's now. That's what he was saying. The time has come. It's now. Then he goes on to say, the kingdom of God has come near. This isn't a time reference. This isn't a second coming reference. It's, it, it, it's a declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the king, and he brings the kingdom near the people. Not far away in the mountains, not in another city. He's saying to the people he's talking to, he's right here, right now. And he's saying this on the shores of Galilee, which is not something that should be glossed over. Because if this were a made-up story, if this were a made-up Hallmark movie, the picture-perfect movie, Galilee is not where the movie would take place. Jesus was from Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And throughout the Bible, you see a a little tone sometimes thrown around about Nazareth and, and Galilee. Derek mentioned it last week with Nathaniel basically saying, why should I believe someone from Nazareth? If this were a picture-perfect movie Mark was writing a screenplay for, it would have been in Jerusalem, the holy city of Judaism, or Rome, the greatest city of all time, or maybe like a nice town where all of the folks from those cities vacation. But Galilee was where the working folks lived the normal folks, the poor to average. He's starting his ministry by telling the normal folks the kingdom of God is right there with them. And he uttered the words, repent and believe the good news. If you hear the word repent, It may make you think Jesus is starting with a call for you just to come forward and list your sins, like it's time for an altar call already. It's deeper, though. The Greek word here is metatonia. It's about perspective and mindset. There's a Hebrew counterpart, teshuva, a more holistic shift of thought and behavior. It's about an ongoing process. Jesus' call to repent and believe here is a call to see things differently. He's exhibiting that by where he is and what he's talking about. The good news. The good news about God. And that's a different way of thinking. That glimpse of the kingdom of God continues with a scene in this movie we're talking about that takes us to the shores of Galilee. Jesus sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew. He's met them before. They were disciples of John, the baptizer. They were fishermen. Not an unusual job. It's a real common job at that time. Not many people in the region eat red meat, so they have a lot of fish they need to catch. Like others in Galilee, 
They were very ordinary men. Jesus, the one their friend John said was the one, says to them, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. They left their nets, and they followed. They didn't ask him if they could follow him. That's what usually would happen in that time. If somebody was going to be a disciple of someone, they would ask. No, he asked them. By speaking in a way they could understand, he met them where they were. And again, we're seeing an example of this upside-down kingdom that Jesus is showing us. Jesus didn't come teaching as a highly educated rabbi in a temple. He's speaking plainly to normal people. So what did these two brothers do? They accepted the invitation. They quit their jobs and they followed. Why did Jesus give them this invitation? Because he saw more than ordinary people. He saw children of God. Jesus and these two brothers, they keep walking. They see two other brothers, the sons of Zebedee. Jesus offers them the same invitation. Mark writes that those two brothers, they don't even delay. They leave their father behind. They accept the invitation and they follow Jesus. Another glimpse of the kingdom of God. Accepting an invitation to repent and be fishers of people. Answering a call. But not just answering a call, finding a new identity. You see, when we read about these two sets of brothers, you not only learn that they were brothers, you learn their occupation, we even learn a little bit about their families. And what are our jobs and our families to many of us? It's what makes up our identities. And what these two sets of brothers were doing was letting go of their old identity to find a new identity in Christ, in spreading the good news, in being fishers of people. If you've been in church circles very much at all, you've heard people talk about being called to ministry. Some people even have a story about the moment they were new, they were called to serve God in a certain specific way. Or maybe you're doing what you do and you say it's because you weren't called to do a certain thing. There's even a lot of talk these days about what's my purpose in life. And we can debate, again, over coffee. And yes, I am one of those motivational speech speakers who has a purpose talk. And some of you would love it and some of you would roll your eyes the entire time. Um, but there is, as Christ followers, there is something that every Christian does have a shared purpose. As Christians, as the church, there is one purpose we are all called to carry out. It's grow the kingdom of God by taking the love of Christ and his, gro- and his grace to others outside these walls. You see, when you know your identity is not in your career or family, and instead in being a child of God, when your purpose is tied to that, there is a boldness, a passion, and even a humility about you. And I guarantee you, it will spread into all aspects of your life. Your work, your family, 
your friendships, and how you spend your time. We are all called, no matter what we do. The brothers we read about, they weren't rabbis. They weren't in full-time ministry. They were rugged, and they worked odd shifts. And later, you see Jesus picked up some other men and women to follow him from other professions and backgrounds. They left their old identities to love people and spread God's grace. What we see in our text today is the call to follow Jesus, no matter what we're doing. It may mean leaving some things behind, maybe your job, but maybe your job is where you're called to be a fisher of people, no matter where. The good news is Jesus invites you to repent and see things differently and walk alongside him. Jesus called us all. That's the good news. In the early days of the pandemic, our congregation's leaders had t-shirts made for folks here at ACC. They said, the church has left the building. How perfect and true. You see, a building isn't the church. It's a gathering place. You can't shut a church down. We are the church. This building, that's all it is. It's a building. It's a gathering place. The church is the people. And we as the church are called to see people differently than the way the rest of the world would see them every day. It's what we do outside these walls, not inside. This week is the third week after Epiphany. The season is about Jesus revealing himself to the world, revealing a way that blesses the poor in spirit, a way that blesses those who mourn, a way that blesses the meek, revealing a way of loving others first, revealing a way of forgiveness and grace. Jesus's ministry was not about telling us to prepare for a special time in heaven. It was about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's the good news, and it's for all of us. This week, I encourage you to think about how you can embrace the good news and carry it out past these walls. Is it in the way you lead at work? How you serve others in your day-to-day? I encourage you to look at people through the lens of love and grace that God offers us. The time has come. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Let the water wash over you. 
Till the end. 